0: our scripture reading this evening comes from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. And we'll be reading verses 39 through 56. And that's the core part of of the sermon tonight. But I'll be jumping around in the Christmas story. It's a a blessing to go through the Christmas story every year. Sometimes we think we'll get tired of it or bored of it. But then you read it again and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for these these truths in your word. So Luke chapter 1 Starting at verse 39, and we'll read all the way to 56. People of God, this is God's very word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. That ends the reading of God's word this evening. You might be thinking, well, that really wasn't a Christmas text, was it? Well, the the name of the sermon is A Prelude to Christmas. Two Miracle Mothers. And as we prepare our hearts... For the coming of the Messiah. Usually we do skip over these verses. We might read them, but yeah, that's, that's too far away, right? She just found out she was pregnant. She's, she's with Elizabeth, her cousin. But I thought, no, let's stop here. Let's look at two miracle mothers. Two mothers who weren't expecting Christmas gifts that year, Not in their wildest dream would that Christmas be this special. Think of Elizabeth and Mary. One well advanced in years, the text says earlier in Luke. And one probably 13, maybe 14 max. One who had tried for years to have a baby. And the other one had never been with a man. But little did they know, the Lord had a plan for them both that Christmas. A plan that would make them shout for joy and sing songs together. Praise the Lord as they were together. Their two sons would be the ending of one chapter of redemption and the beginning of the new chapter in redemption. Think of that. And we're not going to do an advanced study on this part of the text. We just want to skim the top of this beautiful story. We will look at how both of their songs remind us of the Old Testament, remind us of the promises that God had given to his people. Both of their songs show how faithful God was to those promises. Both show us that even when we truly don't think there's going to be a way, God knows. God remembers. Sometimes we don't know how things are going to turn out. God is faithful to His people. God, in His infinite wisdom, makes plans clear. So, our two mothers this evening, in very different situations, both praise God in song. One a song of mercy and the other a song of triumph. And though we just read a little bit of the story this evening, like I said earlier, I'm going to jump around the text just so we can get a full, knowing the context of what's going on. But I really want us to see what theologians called the visitation and the magnificent. These two songs that these two ladies sing to one another. So the visitation and the magnificent, they're filled with praise. And even in our English, we may not catch these, the, the words in this song that they're, they're really praise songs, but listen to these words. The word greeting is, is filled with praise, magnifies, rejoicing, blessing, mercy, exalted. You no, know, the, the Greek word for rejoicing isn't found anywhere else in Greek literature but Scripture and the early church fathers. That's where Paul used the word and it goes out from there to the Greek language. The Apostle Paul loved that word, rejoicing. And I want us to start with the first miracle mother in our text this evening, Elizabeth. Cuz we we know we all know about Mary and her baby at Christmas time. But think about Elizabeth. Think about what she was going through. Because I want to see someone who through the course of her life was looked down upon. But that Christmas, she was raised up. When we first see Elizabeth and her husband in the Gospel of Luke, we read this in chapter 1, verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were well advanced in years. You see, to be childless in the first century was both economically and socially disastrous for you. Because who was going to take care of you when you couldn't work anymore? There'd be no one. If you didn't have kids, you were just left. But it's even sadder is the stigma that goes along with barrenness in the Jewish culture in the first century. See, in the law, when you read through the first five books, we sometimes get to a point to where Barrenness is a judgment from God, a judgment for sin. So even if you didn't sin, think of how Elizabeth felt when she couldn't have kids. Think of what people were going to say to her in the marketplace. In the Jewish mind in the first century, barrenness wasn't a defect of the husband. It was only on the wife. So most men were actually taught to divorce their wife if they couldn't have kids. They were told, you need to find a wife that's going to be able to have an heir for you. So you've got to get rid of that one. So think of the life that she had to live. Another thing to remember is that in the first century, most women only lived to their late 30s and early 40s. That was it. So when we read here that she is well advanced in years, she's probably only in her 50s and maybe early 60s max. So I suggest don't say that to anybody who's well advanced in years because they're not going to like that. No. In, in, In the first century, that's what they thought if a woman was in her 50s or 60s. Well advanced. But no. Another thing we see we read, is the echo of Abraham and Sarah from Genesis. Don't, didn't we see that? It just came out in the text. They were also old and childless. But Zechariah and Elizabeth now share in that story. A story where God comes and gives the child. You know, a church father once noted, That wherever scripture pronounces a woman barren, God later gives her the holy son for whom she longed. Think of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah. See, and Elizabeth, when she finds out she's finally pregnant and she finds out what's going to happen. She's aware of that grace shown. When she finds out she's pregnant, this is what she says. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Wow. Her circumstances repeat that of Rachel at the birth of Joseph. Because Rachel confesses the same thing. She says, God has taken away my disgrace. And what's Elizabeth do? She hides herself for five months. She's like, no one's going to believe me. So she waits until it's undeniably that she's pregnant. Those five months were probably the toughest thing for her, knowing of those years. That she had to deal with. People looking down at her, people saying things, and knowing that she's been redeemed by God. Not only her faith has redeemed her, but he has made her broken womb alive. But she can't tell anybody yet. Who's going to believe? So when we get to our text tonight, we can see the meeting of these two miracle mothers. In verse 39 that we read, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And this is the visitation. How precious must this have been for both of them. To embrace, to share the news of what God had done. One pastor writes this They alone, speaking of Mary and Elizabeth, were chosen to bear the children of promise. And they were the first to know that God had come to redeem his people. And you see, the visitation wasn't just for the moms, was it? Because we see and read about the babies in their womb. John, who would later be John the Baptist. He was think of John the Baptist. Think of the baby in Elizabeth. This is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Among those born of women, which is pretty much everybody, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. He truly was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. And think of the second baby. We know about the second baby, don't we? Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So really, when Mary makes her way to Elizabeth, the covenants connect. Like I said earlier, one chapter closes and the next chapter opens right in that room. Looking at verse 41, this is what we read. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Elizabeth can't even, she can't even hold it back. She just burst out in song. She's overflowing with praise here. One of the things I love about it is she's so blown away that her mind really isn't computing what's happening. That, that The line she says, why is this granted to me? How special that moment. Not only does she have her own miracle that year, but she gets to celebrate with the mother of the Savior of the world. And not only is Elizabeth that excited, but the unborn baby in her womb is that excited. The unborn baby leaps for joy. You know, I remember my wife telling me when my son was in the womb and he leaped and it scared her. I can only imagine. The baby moving around in there, jumping for joy. It's probably painful, I don't know. (laughs) But that's what happened right when the baby, the unborn baby, heard the voice of Mary. Because he knew that Jesus was there too. Elizabeth is so excited that she sings this blessing to Mary. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Utter amazement. Think of a whole life being looked down upon and now she gets this one moment. The Lord had given her this one moment to be there to be able to say these words to the Lord's mom. God had let Elizabeth be part of the beginning of the final act of salvation in that room. This was it. This was the Christmas gift that God gave Elizabeth that year. And finally, Elizabeth... Blessed is Mary one last time. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Did you catch that? Blessed is her for believing the Lord's words. Elizabeth knows what God can do. She's pregnant. God is faithful. He brings to the end of the things he's promised. They come to fulfillment. And Elizabeth is so proud of Mary for believing. So now we're going to switch to Mary. The other miracle mother. You know, sometimes we're afraid to look at Mary, aren't we? You might be afraid someone might hear us talking about Mary and they think, oh, there's Roman Catholics in there, Stop! But the mother of Jesus isn't just for Rome. It's for us all. She is for us all. Because if we ignore her, we lose so much. When the angel of the Lord finds Mary to tell her that you are gonna be the mother of the Messiah, this is what the angel Gabriel tells her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And you're like, wait a second, that's what Elizabeth said to her. Yeah. Blessed are you among women. And before we get to Mary's song, think about who Mary is. Just stop and think, wait a second. And you read the song, you could read it, and you're thinking, okay, this is great. But if you stop and think about who wrote this, it's a 13 year old girl. Who is now pregnant, who's never had sex, and has no idea what the future is going to hold. And you read this song and you're like, Whoa. The angel tells her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now here's the miracle. We know it. How can this be? For I'm a virgin. And then the angel tells her what's going to happen. And this is what she says. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. And right there, I want to tell you, the ESV short changes Mary here. This is what she really says. She really says that I'm the slave girl of the Lord. That's the word being used in the text, slave girl, not just a servant, but no, I'm a slave girl. You are my master, you are the owner. Whatever you say, I'm going to follow and listen. This slave girl could not do anything but the will of her master. Because she says, let it be according to your word. That's what she believed. And I'm wondering if at that moment she knew, if she truly understood what could happen to her if she goes along with this plan. Remember, she's only betrothed to Joseph here. They're not married. So there's three possible outcomes. The first one we we see in the text, we've read the stories. Joseph can divorce her quietly. He's a good man. He does not want to hurt this young girl. Or he could point and say, adulterous woman and she will be put to death. But you see, she knew her God was faithful. She knew her God had made promises, and when he said the Lord was going to come, the Lord was going to come. The Savior of the world was going to be there, and she recognized the will of God and accepted it as hers. And we know at the end of the story. Everything turns out well. So now let's get to her song. The Song of Mary, called the Magnificent, from the first couple words in the Latin translation, and this song is really an outburst of praise. But one thing comes just so clearly when you start reading this, you're like, wait a second. She's 13. She's going through some traumatic stuff in her life. But when she sings this song, it's just scripture. She knows her scripture, even at this young age. We see elements of Hannah's song from 1 Samuel. We see the psalms just coming out all these time. She was singing these songs at worship when she would go to worship. Now they're just coming out. She's so excited. Because we could see that this song comes from the depths of her when she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. That's from her innermost being. She magnifies the Lord. She wants to exalt the Lord. And she continues, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. No other woman in history was going to be the mom of the Messiah. And here she is, this little girl. Think about the history of the Jewish people from the very beginning in the garden. The seed of the woman was gonna come crush the serpent's head. All the prophecies in the Old Testament. The hundreds of years of looking for the Messiah. Now this young girl from this hick town in northern Israel is gonna be the mom of Jesus. She'll be called blessed forever. And that's her title, the Blessed Virgin Mary. We and I say that a lot. I don't think we do as Protestants. But did you see, did you notice it was in our confession this evening? In 1561, when Guido de Bray wrote the Belgian Confession, he knew that that just wasn't for Rome. That was for all of us. She is the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we can say that without being afraid. There's no shame in calling her that. When we were in seminary, we wouldn't say the whole thing, we'd just say she's the BVM. <laughs> she's the BVM. But she's the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then the song, it draws from all these beautiful other th- songs in the Old Testament. Think of Hannah's song. Think of the allusions that he- she's saying in this. But she gets so excited She actually starts saying attributes of God. Verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So she knows her God's mighty. She knows her God's holy. She knows her God's merciful. Because that's the power that she becomes pregnant by. Holy Spirit and power. How awesome is that? That she understands this. And she uses Scripture to tell us that. Holy is His name. I have a 13 year old daughter. I don't think she's going to write a song like this. Mary's song is so powerful. And then she continues with it, starting in, in, in verse 51. She starts talking about the reversal of all things. What this baby in her womb is going to do. She sings, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. In the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Notice how that's all in past tense, because she knows it's going to be true. She knows how faithful her God is, and everything that God has said is coming true, even the birth of the Messiah through her. The idea of the arm of God, it's used all over the book of Exodus. Moses uses this all the time. God's redemption of Israel from Egypt. We read this line. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That's the mighty God. Next, we see that no human attitude falls more severely than under God's judgment than pride. He scatters the proud. Because see, pride competes with God, refusing to acknowledge His sovereignty. She sings about the powerful and the wealthy that are pushed to the side. God puts the mighty down from their thrones and sends the rich away empty. Again, let's stop and think. 13-year-old girl. And now, think of who her audience is. Remember who she's singing this to? Elizabeth, the one who's been looked down upon all these years. Think about what this song meant to her about who her God is that year. When she finally gets to hear how powerful He is and know it's true for what He's done for her. It's one of the blessings we see in these songs is that the Lord doesn't leave his righteous one in humiliation. He rises them up. Elizabeth will not only bear a son, but that son will announce the reign of the son. See what God has done for Elizabeth and for Mary? He does for all of his people the poor, the powerless, the oppressed. And he's going to do it through the baby in the womb of Mary, the God-man, the true Son of God, Son of Man. In the last two sentences in Mary's song, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Through thick and thin, God was going to fulfill the promise. No matter how often Israel was going to turn their backs on the Lord, he wasn't going to turn his back. He said he would never leave them nor forsake them, and he didn't. He always remembers his promises. Even though, if you look at our our Bibles, and you take right in the middle, more two-thirds and a third maybe, this one page right here, between Old Testament and New Testament, that's 400 years. You go from Malachi, you turn 400 years, and now the promises are gonna be fulfilled. 400 years is a long time, but God doesn't give up on his promises. It was always going to come true. It was always going to happen. His covenant people knew that one day he would send his son Because God tells us that. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's never going to change. And it didn't change even through 400 years of silence. The hope of Israel has come to fruition in Mary. The promise has been fulfilled to Abraham and his seed. Mary's son is that fulfillment. Remember what Jesus says when he's discussing with the Pharisees? He says this, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. That's Christmas. Rejoicing. Everything that God had promised Israel was about to be accomplished to that baby. That baby that was in Mary's womb. Christmas. From Moses to David to the prophets. All the psalms that they sing, that we sing. And the crazy thing is, is Mary knew it. Or she wouldn't have sung this song. The angel told her, and she believed. And you could see it in the song that she sings. So now, us, not 400 years later, 2,000 years later, as we prepare for Christmas and we read stories of these two women, one of the things we could see is hope. They never gave up, they knew how good their God was. Do we do that at Christmas time? Do we stop and think of the joys of what's happening? The power of the Christmas story changes lives. That's what this text is about. It's not just what we do for Christmas and our traditions and our gifts and and going to church and celebrating. The gospel changes lives, beloved. And that's what Christmas is about. And these two women give us that story. Two women who are not supposed to have children at this time in their lives. But God had a different plan, didn't he? One who had seen years of ridicule. That was going to change. One who had just become a woman. Her life's going to change forever. A lowly virgin from Nazareth. Of all places, Nazareth. The blessed Virgin Mary. Christmas. God never forgets his promises. How many times have we said, where's God in all of this? Look back. Look back. He makes plans clear. He is the one that lifts us up. And this Christmas, I hope we remember these two women What God has done for them, he does for us. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. The Lord is good.